Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of movies from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers, and in this fun episode, we will go behind the scenes to talk to some of the people behind not only DVD Netflix, but also its popular online movie blog. Well, first up, we have one of the hardest working women behind the scenes of a major brand. My good friend, Annie Jung, is the marketing manager of DVD Netflix, which amazingly is a team of one, and is constantly coming up with great ideas for engagement, both for the site's official blog, which I've been lucky enough to write for, as well as through a variety of fun DVD chats on Twitter. Additionally, a lover of good books with, under normal circumstances, a passion for travel. Annie enjoys quality scotch, fine cheese, and finding new films to add to her DVD Netflix queue. Annie, it's so good to have you here. I really enjoyed our period pieces episode last fall, and it's great to celebrate DVD Netflix today. So how have you been doing and how's your summer been treating you? Summer's been uh, treating me all right. We're actually doing a campaign with Feeding America right now, where if you opt into giving back, just add as many things, as many movies and shows as you want to your queue, and we'll donate a meal for each one you add. Oh, that's wonderful. Can it be ones that are already in there or starting when you sign up? Uh, Starting after you opt in. Okay, great. So fill up to fill some plates. We're trying to hit a million meals donated. Oh, that's perfect. I'll have to spread the word on that. And hopefully people listening will do that. I know we talked about your background with Netflix on the other episode, which I encourage everyone to check out. But since we're on the subject as a good refresher, how long have you been a subscriber to DVD Netflix? And what do you most love about it? I've been a subscriber as long as I've been working here. So that is six years as of last month. Um, Gee, I think I have 487 things in my queue right now. It usually floats around 480, 490. Uh, It's hard because I feel like I add as much as I watch, especially after a DVD chat that usually adds like 10 to 20 new things. I know, yeah. I have close to 500. I've been kind of gaming the stats where you can like add things that are coming down the pike and then you get like 515 and that used to be the thing. I don't know if it still is. Maybe uh, maybe DVD Netflix is like, uh, it's the Jen Johans rule. We can't have that anymore. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But one of my favorite things about you is how inspired you get and how passionate you are to track down new movies after pieces drop on the blog or we have these great DVD chats. So what have been some of your favorite discoveries that you've made? Hmm. You know, 
There's a lot. I will say that one piece of DVD chat homework that I've been putting off for probably at least a year now is Dirty Dancing. I just cannot get motivated to watch Dirty Dancing. Have you ever seen it? No. No. Oh, wow. One of my friends just saw it for the first time, Kate. Yeah. And um, she wasn't prepared for like a dark subplot that happens, but um, she really enjoyed it. But it was kind of funny. She had watched that and then Footloose and a couple other movies. She's like, what was going on in the 80s? There are these (laughs) bright movies, but they have this darkness going on. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. You'll have to report back when you finally watch Dirty Dancing. I know recently it was like last week. There was um, a DVD chat on, was it Passions? Or what did you guys call that one? Steamy Scenes. Steamy Scenes. Did you add any good Steamy Scene movies? Uh, Let's see. It was um, Body Heat. Oh, I love that movie. Yes. Yes. There were many people that answered with that over multiple questions. I was like, I got this one out. Oh, it is so good. One of the coolest things I ever did when I moved to Phoenix here is, I don't know how I found out she was coming, but Kathleen Turner actually came and gave like a lecture um, for anybody. It wasn't, you know, over at ASU and anyone could go, yeah, to just sign up for free tickets. I went, it was so interesting. That was her first movie. And she talked about how she's supposed to play this like confident seductress and she was 26. She's like, so there's me shaking like a leaf, but trying to be like really in control and seducing William Hurt. And she's like, Everybody thought I was so, I was not, I was so scared. So I thought that was really funny. It's yeah. always um, interesting to hear from people, you know, I see them on screen and I think they're super sexy, just burst yeah. with confidence. Like Margot Robbie was apparently really nervous about filming Wolf of Wall Street because she wasn't <sighs> sure she was um, quote unquote, like hot enough. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's amazing to think that. I know, because they just seem so perfect on the screen. Margot Robbie is such a good actress. She is, she's killing it. She's yeah. um, probably one of my favorite actresses of that generation. Yeah, I know. It's It's been interesting to see who's pulled ahead, because sometimes you worry, like, oh, is she going to be a, quote, one-hit wonder from mm-hmm. Wolf of Wall Street? But then I, Tanya and she's oh, I loved her in I, Tanya. Yes. Oh like night and day such a powerful performance yeah well have you rented anything recently that you'd like to recommend or that you saw that was interesting um one of my girlfriends and I recently got together and we watched Valmont I've never seen that I've only seen Dangerous Liaisons so what did you think oh I I pre-gamed it by watching that and then um well you know Young Colin Firth, who's not going to be down for yeah. young, young Colin Firth? Absolutely. Although for me, I think um, Annette Benning really stole the show there. Oh, she's such a good actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what did you think in comparison? Were you just you recommend them both? Or are you like Team Valmont or Team Dangerous Liaisons? You know, honestly, I feel like I get split down to a team Annette Benning and then yes. team Glenn Close. I'm on both of them. Oh, absolutely. Two of our best actresses and two who have not won an Oscar, which is insane. It's it's shocking, quite yeah. frankly, with their level of talent. I know. Yeah. Uh, 
we need to get them some Oscars here, some like honorary ones or yes. I know. Well, what is a typical day like for you behind the scenes at DVD Netflix? Well, let's see. Currently, I just wrapped up doing the Halloween mailers. So stay tuned for those in a few months. And now I'm getting started on the holiday mailers. Oh, cool. With the art that year? Yeah. Oh, I am excited. It was cool to see like a sneak preview of some of the Halloween ones. So do you want to tease out anything that might be coming? Uh, let's see. There is, if you've seen the right stuff, oh, if yeah. you're a fan of Field of Dreams, and if you liked Friday the 13th, you, you might like some of the references that are going to happen. Perfect. I am like the biggest right stuff nerd. So this is wonderful news. Yes. And I know like Valmont, we just talked about, you are kind of the period pictures, queen adaptations. Is there anything else that you've seen that you would recommend? Um, I've kind of been on a Guy Ritchie kick. Um, loved Snatch, loved okay. Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. They're fun. Um, yeah. If you have more similar films to those, like just really zingy, nonstop dialogue, great ensemble cast. I would love to know. Did you see Rock and Rolla? No. That's another Guy Ritchie. That one I remember really enjoying. I might be in the minority there, but I thought it was really fun. Yeah. So Speaking he, of just things that are really fun, uh, kind of going in different direction, do you, do you deign to watch any of the Fast and Furious movies? I am actually a fan of those. I mean, and it's weird to say that, but if you have you ever seen any? I have, and uh, I just went to see number nine. I need to. What did you think? You know, I like Fast and Furious because they know what they are. Yeah. They don't, they're not trying to be gritty. They're not trying to be pretentious. They know exactly what they are, and they own it. And they even kind of make a couple of meta jokes referring to like how absurd the podcast yeah. I appreciate that that is cool do you have a favorite I think mine is probably the fifth one where they're pulling the big safe around um is it Brazil just cracks me up that movie it's a great heist film of course I love Han so Tokyo Drift is fun do you have any favorites uh I, Tokyo Drift is great um yeah I feel like number five is probably up there for me as well. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's kind of sad watching, was it number seven? Because that's when oh, Paul, goodness, Walker, Paul Walker. Oh, goodness, Paul Walker. Yeah, I know. It's like, he. it's kind of become a joke how many times Vin Diesel will use the word family to like anybody who he meets like five minutes memes later. Were family. Yeah, the memes are wonderful. But in that movie, you're like, oh my gosh, that is family and Paul Walker. And so why am I crying in a Fast and Furious movie? But right. you know, yes, uh, I know. So did Jordana Brewster come back for nine? Yeah, um, yeah, she she has a couple appearances. Okay, cool. The yeah, way they explain Paul Walker being gone is um, he's at home taking care of the kids while they're off saving the world. Okay, I love that. I love how at the beginning, they're just like these punks racing cars. And then by the end of it, they're like going into space, basically. Yeah. Yeah, they're tapped by the US government's clandestine yeah. operation. <laughs> it just went from like, a little thing to like, you know, warp 10, basically. They jumped Are the shark, they jumped the car, they jumped into space. 
there you go. That is the perfect way to put it. Are there any other franchises you enjoy? Do you like the Mission Impossibles or any of the other ones? Oh, Mission Impossible. I do love Simon yeah. Pegg all day. Oh, Simon Pegg is the best. Yeah. I also get a kick out of him in like Hot Fuzz and those movies too. Yes. Yeah. You know, young Tom Cruise was my first uh, celebrity crush. Oh, really? Was there a certain Tom Cruise movie? Oh my gosh. I was 11 or 12 and I was watching Far and Away with my parents. Oh. And I don't know if you recall the scene with the bowl. Not, but I've been meaning to watch it because my friend Blake mentioned it like two weeks ago. And I'm like, I need to rewatch it. Yeah. All right. Report back to me on how hard you giggled during the Nicole the Kidman bowl. bowl scene. Okay. I will. That is so funny. <laughs> Oh, well, this is great. Are there any other films you want to tell people are either coming that you know of or recommend at all? This was um, a DVD chat homework for a bunch of us the time before uh, last week, but Jennifer's Body. Okay, yes, with Megan Fox. I feel so bad for how I used to think of Megan Fox. She and is excellent, yeah. We, we really did her dirty, I got to admit. And I, I apologize, Megan Fox, for the way I used to <laughs> view you. Um, uh, and Jennifer's body, severely underrated. It was a great time. Great mix of just horror, comedy. Um, she was awesome. Yeah, Karin Kusama, who directed another movie I love, um, The Invitation. Did you see that one? No, because I usually stay away from scary movies. Okay. That one, like, don't watch it at night. Um, it's just the, I don't want to say anything about it. Like, don't watch any trailers or read anything. But it's one of those where I, I thought it was one thing going in. And then it was something completely different. I watched it twice in one weekend because I had to, like, go get somebody else, like, watch this movie. And they're like, what is it about? I'm not saying a word. And just, yeah. So maybe, like, Dirty Dancing as the aperitif if you ever are like the movies I'm putting off but maybe we'll check out or not go with rock and roll and have some more fun yeah I would rather do that honestly yeah I'm sorry guys but dirty you've been yelling at me for over a yeah. year about <laughs> dirty dancing I just I just can't find it in me yeah you're like come on enough of that exactly it's not for everybody oh well this was so much fun Annie I really appreciate you taking the time to do this it's always a pleasure to talk to you and Thank you again. Thank you, Jen. Always a great time. Next up, we have the terrific Raquel Stetcher with us, a film critic with a strong grasp on and interest in classic foreign and indie film. Raquel writes for both her blogs, Out of the Past and Cal Movies, as well as DVD Netflix and TCM. Raquel, it is always so nice to see you and talk movies on the pod wave. So thank you so much for doing this. How are you doing and how's summer treating you so far? Hi, Jen. Uh, thanks for having me back. Um, yeah, no, it's been a good summer. It's been flying by. Feels like mm -hmm. somebody's leaning on the fast forward button. Because um, I, <laughs> I just realized it's like, okay, there's July. It's gone. <laughs> pretty, I know, pretty much. last day of July. Bananas. Yes. Yes. So I'm like trying to catch up with, you know, some reading I have planning and um, I'm going to be covering the Fantasia 
film festival soon. So that's oh, exciting. Cool. And then um, I'll be covering TIFF in September, which I'm Yay. really excited about the Toronto International Film Festival. So I have a lot ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, very exciting. So how's your classic summer reading challenge going? Actually seeing you is reminding me that I need to log another title. So I'll have to do that today. But <laughs> beyond that, how's it going? Well, oh my goodness, the participants are doing so well. I have over 40 people um, cool. participating. Several have already finished the challenge. So for anyone who doesn't know about the challenge, it is basically every summer I encourage people to sign up and um, uh, challenge themselves to read up to six classic film related books. So any books that relate to movies from like the 1970s and earlier, and I'm, I'm flexible with that. So it could be a biography, a novel, it could be a book about a genre. It could be a lot of things. And, um, I encourage people to read up to six. They don't have to read the full six, but if they do read the full six, they are entered into a giveaway. And this year I'm giving away, um, their choice of a Kino Lorber title. Oh, um, cool. So I'll probably pick, I usually pick around three winners of the people who finish the challenge. So it's a good, it's a good challenge and people get really into it. We have a hashtag called just classic film reading. Um, and people have done all sorts of things. They've done just written reviews, Goodreads reviews, YouTube videos, podcast reviews, Instagram photo reviews. It's great. It's crazy. It's all the, it runs the gamut. It's so cool to support reading and also see everyone's creativity as they interact with the books. Have you read anything that you'd like to recommend? Oh, oh my goodness. Like there's the roundup I did, like, like so many people were reading books about like, um, um, lesser known actors. There's lots of like, uh, books from TCM, um, cause they've been churning out like with running press, they've been churning yes. out a lot of really amazing books. People have been tackling that, um, really long biography on Barbara Stanwyck, um, which isn't even like the full, like her full life. It's just like the first like 30 years or something. Wow. Um, so and, and like, there's some really obscure stuff too. So it really runs the gamut. Um, but yeah, and I'm really happy with, with what folks are reading. Very cool. Well, we're here today for DVD Netflix. So I would love to know how long have you been a member? How many movies are in your queue? And do you happen to remember what you first rented? Yes. So I've been a member of DVD Netflix since 2002. So next year in right July, on. it'll be 20 years, which is kind of crazy. So back then it was just Netflix, you know, there was no yes. streaming. Streaming mm -hmm. is still kind of new. Um, but I was a hardcore film fan. I I um, converted over to classic movies during college, but I was also gobbling up a lot of like um, uh, art house films and um, period films. And the first um, movie I ever rented from them was in July of 20, uh, sorry, July, 2002 was Wonder Boys. Oh, that film favorites. with yeah, Michael Douglas. Yes. And yeah. so, um, and that was like the last time I watched it too. So I should revisit wow. it. Okay. And I was <laughs> deep into my Katie Holmes fascination. This is what I did back in the day. I would attach myself to an actor or actress and I would just want to watch all of their films. So at the time I was like big into like Alan Rickman and Kate Winslet and then Katie Holmes. And so I was like, okay, I would just gobble, gobble up their movies. And the great thing about Netflix, actually a friend had um, turned me onto it and, and it was great because I could just go look up the actor, 
add everything that they had available on my queue and just like do a really deep dive. And I just love doing that. So looking at my DVD Netflix history is funny because I see these batches of just like whatever I was interested in. It could could even be not just an actor and actress could be like, oh, I was watching a lot of French films or I was watching a lot of like literary adaptations or films about food, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's been a long journey. And um, I stopped the service a couple times during college, but otherwise I've been a devoted member, like straight through. (laughs) Same. Yeah. For me, it's been 2001 and it was, I think, under my parents' names um, originally. So it was a few different email addresses and we'd stop and then it would go to like, I would sign back up or whatever. So I don't have like the luxury of going back and seeing complete history, but I know uh, it was when I first moved to Arizona and my first rentals were exactly what you were saying. Like you would get interested in something. So I was reading a lot of Kerouac and I wanted to see this beat generation documentary that nobody had that one of my friends told me about Netflix had it. So I got that. I got Billy Jack because I don't know why somebody told me to rent Billy Jack And then something French, and I'm pretty sure it was either Chabrol or Truffaut, and I can't remember what, but it was something. So it was the weirdest compilation of titles, but just because what you're interested in, basically. I love that. That's great. And I mean, I'm actually not the type of person who likes to be recommended to with algorithms. Like I know I can hop onto like a streaming service and it'll just say, hey, look at all this stuff that you'd like to watch based off of what you watched before. I'm like, no, I'm actually like, my tastes are so particular at the whatever moment. I know yeah. exactly what I want to watch and they hardly ever get it right. They so do. I'm all I over prefer, the place. Yeah. Like I prefer just a big catalog where I can just pick and choose rather than have something like yeah. try to tell me, like, I remember <laughs> seeing like, um, oh, have, have this service play something for you. I'm like, no, 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 no. Oh, that's no, I have a list. Yeah. <laughs> I know that shuffle or let them decide what you watch. It's like, yes, that's my no. nightmare. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> no, not at all. So no hate to people it. who can. I mean, some yeah. people just want to chill and just let somebody else choose for them. I'm just like a control freak with my movies. So yes. Yeah, type A uh, total movie nerds basically is who you're listening to right now. No, I'm just kidding. Example. <laughs> yeah, so good company. Yes. As far as great film discoveries go, uh, one of the movies you recommended or mentioned that you wanted to discuss today is a terrific foreign sleeper, French. We were just talking about French. So this is perfect. Writer director Francois Ozon's. 2002 Serkian musical murder mystery. Boy, that's a tongue twister. Eight Women. It's based on a 1958 play. The film seems to ask, why should Pedro Almodovar have all the fun? Bright, weird, kinky, and very, very entertaining. It stars a staggeringly gifted cast, including legends like Catherine Deneuve, Isabelle Huppert, and Fanny Ardant. So Raquel, talk to me about Eight Women. So. Um, so I was looking back in the history of like, what's cool about DVD Netflix is you can go back to the mm-hmm. very beginning of your history. If you, you know, um, had account for a while and see like the trends and things. And I first rented this film in 2006 okay. and then I rented it again in 2009. And I'm pretty sure both times that I had rented it in the past, I had watched it 
numerous times because it's just such a fun, campy, colorful movie with like the best cast of women. I know. Um, and I had seen a couple Francois Ozone films because I was on a Ludivine Sagne binge at the time and go. she had made yeah. films with him. And she's in this one. She plays um, um, Catherine, mm-hmm. like the youngest character. So I had seen Swimming Pool yeah. um, with uh, like like a fantastic kind of like very sexy drama with like Charlotte Rampling, I think, is in yes, it too. she was. And that was like, wow, what is this movie? Yes. <laughs> and then I watched, um, I, so I rented that from DVD Netflix. And I also rented um, Water uh, Drops on Burning Rocks, which is another Francois Ozone film. Very okay. bizarre, very strange. So on that seen. role, okay. I put eight women onto my queue. This is what I'm assuming at the time was happening. Sure. And then what drew me to it, too, was um, how classic it felt. It's set in the 1950s in France, and it's like everyone's wearing beautiful costumes, and you have, like, these these living legends, Um, Mm -hmm. and it just, like, really appealed to me. And then when I watched it, I'm like, what is this movie? This is amazing. It's, like, part musical, part murder mystery, part period film. It's... Reminiscent of like the women from 1939 or yeah. the Douglas Sirk movies, or like um, Roger Ebert call it, called it um, an Agatha Christie musical. It which is, yes. Suits it very well. So I watched it, and this is a type of movie you have to watch multiple times because you have like the murder mystery plot, then you have the musical numbers to enjoy, and then you could just watch it a third time to pick up on little cues mm-hmm. and like subtle themes and like hidden messages and stuff like that. So yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. And I, I'm glad that um, another, like an interest in an actress led me to this, um, mm-hmm. to this film. That's perfect. And an Agatha Christie musical. I was actually in one when oh. I was in middle school, Little Miss Christie. I was oh, in that cool. musical. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun. I remember when I saw this, I was, it was reminding me of doing that musical and just like all of a sudden there's a murder and then we're singing and, you know, it's just crazy. But I love uh, that it is a lot like the women. Uh, there's, you know, kinkiness because that is Ozon. You mm-hmm. mentioned swimming pool. One of my first memories of like going to the movies here to the art house was when that movie came out I can't remember when 2003 was it okay yeah yeah it was when I finally found like the right art house or the one I liked the most okay I'm waiting in line and it's a hot day and it's a line and it's going around the theater and these women like in the line behind me just told the entire story of swimming pool and that's what I was going to see oh no oh my god and so so it was kind of like the Twitter of 2003 oh. was these women in line. No, I'm just kidding. Instead of Twitter, usually... it was the chatter of. Yes, it was the chatter. Movie lines. <laughs> you know, and usually I'm not a big deal. Like spoilers. I think I waited until uh, it came back out on DVD. I, I saw whatever else was playing that day. And I can't remember what it was, but I'm sure it was fine. Um, and then when I saw it on DVD, I forgot some of what they had said. I remembered some, but it still played like gangbusters. And he is a wonderful filmmaker. I loved this movie. I had seen it when it was new. And I remember uh, just falling in love with it, but not knowing what the hell I was watching because it seemed like an Elmo Devar movie, but it also seemed 
very Circean. So I was really glad you chose this because it'd been a while for me and it's just a lot of fun. It is. And anyone who loves classic movies will love this because it's got so many references to classic movies. Just yes. the opening sequence, all of the, the eight women. Actually, this is like there's only women in the movie. You see yeah. a man, um, but he's murdered. So like the, the whole. Yeah. Yeah. You see him from behind and like the, he's murdered and you have to figure out who of the eight women who are trapped in this home during a snowstorm. Yeah. Um, which of them killed him um and then there's like plot like plot twists and turns and stuff just like a whatever good murder mystery you watch Mm -hmm. um what i like about the the intro is that all eight women are introduced with a different flower um and like in the women in 1939 each is introduced with a female animal yeah like norma shear is the um the i think she's the fawn and then um like uh, there's, I think Joan Crawford's like the leper, like each one has an uh, animal attached. And it's really interesting what they choose for like the flowers, like um, Ludovine Seigne is a daisy because she's like the young kind yes. of innocent one. And then um, uh, Fanny Ardon is like this brilliant red rose and Emmanuel Biart is like a white orchid. And then Catherine Deneuve is an orange orchid, which I thought was interesting. And the flowers match the color schemes that they wear in the movie because they have these brilliant costumes. They pretty much wear the same one. You see costume cha- a costume change for Isabelle Huppert. She gets out of that like frumpy outfit into like yes. a gorgeous, like slim fitting dress. And then Emmanuel Beard has like this really kind of eccentric, like maid costume. And then she like rips out like the, yeah. like the part around her neck and she exposes her cleavage and she's like, yeah, now I'm going to be, <laughs> yeah. Like now I'm going to be like one of the women, like she takes her hair down, but otherwise, like the color um, and their costumes, like are pretty much symbolic of who they are as a person. Um, so that's super interesting. That's a callback, like having an all female cast, having it be about a man too, like how these women mm-hmm. relate to this particular man, and and kind of like it's kind of like in the women, the introduction with the flowers. Um, that's really cool. And then there's a couple like really cool references. I like there's one scene where um, the camera pans to Catherine, De- uh, a painting of Catherine Deneuve and she's looking over her shoulder and she's kind of got a halo around her. That's like a Laura reference if you if I've ever oh, seen yes. one. Absolutely. And, and then Fanny Ardon has this uh, the one thing I love about the movie too is that all eight women have their own musical number. So there's eight yes. musical sequences and each one has their own and they all sing themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and Fanny Ardon's one is like totally Rita Hayworth and Gilda with the with the long gloves and she pulls yes, them off. She, pulls she does off exactly much. the sexy dance and everything. So um, that with the 1950s setting, sort of the Douglas Cirque vibe, the beautiful score, which has like that classic feel. This like is something Bernard that Airman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like I anyone who likes classic movies, I think would like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's a great year for it, too. I kept thinking, boy, when did Far From Heaven come out? And it was 2002. 
Oh, yes, that's yeah. right. Same that's year. a good point. So you got Todd Haynes doing uh, Cirque. Basically, that's all that heaven allows. But, you know, played with race this time. Mm-hmm. This was another Cirquean thing he did with uh, Imitation of Life. And so, um, and you have another gay filmmaker. So it's just, it would be really cool to like watch these movies um, together and see people playing on Cirque, basically. And then also yeah. add in an Almodovar see how they do it in three different countries yeah yeah that would be really cool yeah I couldn't believe it was the same year I was like wait a sec did he watch Todd Haynes or did Todd Haynes and was like wow they just (laughs) were thinking the same thing I love it well they talk about that phenomenon where sometimes in um like the filmmaking world some people have the exact same idea at the exact same time and it just comes about kind of organically so maybe that's it maybe it was just like that's a, a time, uh, an appreciation for Douglas Cirque all happening at once. <laughs> all happening at once, a couple years after All About My Mother, and then after In the Mood for Love. So, and All About yeah. My Mother has so many great classic movie references, yes. even just the title itself, you know? know. it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, so these are all wonderful movies you can rent from DVD Netflix. Are there any other discoveries, whether in the same vein or anything else you made recently that you would like to share? Oh, I would like to just do a quick shout out the fact that Eight Women is not available to stream anywhere. You're right. Yes. It's only available to rent on DVD Netflix if you're in the yes. United States. I can't speak for other countries, but True. that's one of the great things about um, DVD Netflix. There is like this this like magic time period in like... Um, like the early to... Like the early aughts and noughts. Like, um, like in the last like maybe... Maybe from like 2000, 2015 or 2016, there's a lot of movies in that time frame that are not available on streaming, which is interesting. I feel like they took a lot of somewhat older films yeah. and classics and then really new films, but there's like a big gap. So yes, um, it goes back even further to the 90s, oh, the indie era, like yes. Rock West, I don't think was available. I don't know if it is now, but that wasn't available. All these little boutique or uh, labels that like fell apart and it goes right into the late odds and yeah so got a lot it. of them are available on dvd and dvd yep. netflix has <laughs> so that's really great no. yeah no i mean Point. like over the years that i've been so many like discoveries just like um um i watched the graduate for the first time with oh, dvd netflix yeah. um i remember having a and like like an enormous crush on like Christopher Eccleston and like I would just watch ah, all yes. of his films on and Alan Rickman I adored yeah. him I would just watch all of his films there and um any kind of like period pieces like Merchant Ivory adaptations of classics um Jane Austen Louisa May Alcott anything like that that I missed at the theater that's what the big thing is like my budget couldn't allow me to watch all the movies I wanted to at the theater so Mm -hmm. I would just make a list of stuff and then or just sometimes you could add it really early on DVD Netflix and then I would forget about and just watch it later um and one movie recently that um I watched that like wasn't available anywhere and it kind of got caught up in um in the whole thing with the pandemic because um um like with the pandemic like so many so many movies got either pushed back um or they um 
they they had like limited releases. They went straight to streaming. Wow. Um, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Okay, is like a really fun comedy. Now it's available on Hulu. Yeah, um, but it was briefly available, I think, um, in like maybe limited theaters and maybe like um, like Very a high price like expensive. rental. Yeah. yeah, and digital. But then there was this gap where like you couldn't watch it anywhere, mm-hmm. but the Blu-ray came out and I rented it on DVD Netflix. So I got to see it before it started streaming on Hulu and it is such a little gem. I love um, Bridesmaids, which um, is also um, it's, it's also written by Annie Momolo and Kristen Wiig, who are both in Bridesmaids, obviously, but um, they star in this film and it's this really campy comedy a little a little raunchy a little like absurd it's just like totally over the top about these two women who just like go on this trip and it's just like absolutely wild um (laughs) and I just felt like really bad that it didn't get much attention I mean I was looking at the stats and I'm like this is so sad um but that's that's just a recent discovery that I made thanks thanks to DVD, DVD Netflix yeah, very true. Well, I think these are all great ideas. I want to thank you so much for being here, Raquel, and hope you thank have a you. great rest of your weekend. You too. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks. Take care. Next up, we have David Rather. David, thanks so much for being here today. How are you doing and how's summer treating you so far? I'm doing very well. The summer's great. Uh, the uh, pandemic restrictions have been listed, lifted in the Bay Area, so... That's Although there's a, seems like there's a chance they may come back. Yeah. So I'm enjoying myself till then. Yeah, there you go. Fully vaccinated and everything. So Perfect. I know. That's the way to go. Very good. Well, do you know offhand how long you've been subscribing to DVD Netflix? And also, do you happen to remember your first rental? Uh, I do not remember my first rental. I've been a subscriber off and on since probably around 2000. Nine. Okay. Yeah. Either myself or someone else. I was going to their house a lot, you know, so I don't remember exactly. I don't remember exactly when I first started subscribing to DVD and I don't remember the first movie or I think it may have been bringing a baby. Okay. Hey, that's a great one to choose. Yeah. favorite, Favorite comedies of all time. Absolutely. Yes. Well, inquiring minds want to know how many DVDs are in your queue right now. I don't have any in my queue right now. You I'm don't. All of them. Wow, that's really good. I have like close to five hundred. So, oh my goodness! Yes, I'm way too obsessive. So that's good. <laughs> I guess we're we're at the extremes. You've yes. got the like I want to see everything and the very deciding what you want to see and yeah, that's the way I go. This is the movie I want to see. I get it. I watch it. Cool. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Well, when it came to selecting a favorite movie rental you discovered through Netflix, you chose one of the greatest films of all time in the form of Vittorio De Sica's 1948 masterpiece, Bicycle Thieves, which is arguably the most famous film from the post-World War II Italian neorealist movement. So what are your thoughts on this one and when did you first see it? I, uh, this is one of those movies that's a kind of piece of art or like a novel or wherever, where you re, re, you re, you understand it in different ways 
at different points in your life. Very true. So I first saw it when I was in high school in North Minneapolis back in the 70s in a film class. Okay. And um, we would watch two movies a week. And there were movies that after that class, I remember thinking, I'm going to see those movies again. So like Citizen Kane, mm -hmm. I saw that for the first time in that film class. Shane. Uh, and then one of them was Bicycle Thieves. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm 16 years old. It just struck me as a really sad movie. And, um, you know, I just felt badly. But I yeah. thought, oh, this, this is quite a, you know, was, I, I took it as a 16-year-old kid. Well, you yeah. know, that's too bad. It's, I'm sorry it didn't work out for those people. But what a great movie. And then mm -hmm. I saw it again. The second time I saw it was in was when I was in college. I was going to uh, a school over near the University of Minnesota, and back then they still had revival houses, art houses that would show. You know, they'd publish a calendar, and every day was a different movie or a couple of movies. And so I saw it in a movie theater for the first time on a big screen in Minneapolis. I'm from in Minneapolis. There, so. What? I am from Minneapolis. So is this the walk? Uh, would this be uh, the Uptown, the Lagoon? Which theater? No, this was the campus over in uh, the West Bank. I don't even know oh, if that okay. theater is. So, oh, that's cool. You grew up in Minneapolis. Yeah. I, grew up in, I grew up in the North Side. Where did you grow up? Uh, the Anoka Champlain area. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, anyway, I, I remember that time because I'd been, you know, I'd taken a, like a real class on film. And so I was watching, I was struck with it as, oh, so this is what neorealism is. Yeah. The story of it was not as impactful to me as the technique and the style of filmmaking. Sure. At the time. Because, you know, you're a, you know, 21-year-old smarty pants. <laughs> That's the kind of thing you respond to. Yeah. And then um, the next time I watched a minute, a couple decades went by, was I was in my early 40s. I was living in Los Angeles, doing very well. And, um, you know, we would go to the Blockbuster, which no longer exists. I know. <laughs> I would take my kids to Blockbuster a couple times a week and they'd rent movies, but I'd always rent a foreign movie or a classic movie and I'd make them watch them. Mm -hmm. And so one of the movies that I made them watch was Bicycle Thieves. And they always complained, complained about it because oh. why are you making us watch boring, boring, foreign movies? You know, we just want to watch Babysitter's Club. Anyway, so um, <laughs> I watched it and that time I responded to it as a father. Yeah. Really. I can see that. I really connected for the first time with the main character. Um, the father who's struggling mightily to, you know, keep his family's head above water. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, at the time I was a writer in television. And so I was having no financial problems. I was just working huge hours. So I was thinking about what struck me about it emotionally was the things that a father does yeah. to try to keep the family together and keep things going. And then, um, the next time I saw it, well, in the early 2000s, uh, my wife had some health problems, so I stopped working because mm. I'd made a, made quite a bit of money as a writer, did really well. And so I just stayed home and, you know, 
helped her out and that's good fatherly things and then when i tried to get back to um go back to television i was just not possible i you know the, the business had changed there were yeah fewer sitcoms and um you know i was almost 50 mm-hmm. um, and so i just couldn't find work and then i tried to find other work and then ultimately it led to us losing our house to foreclosure and then the breakup of the family and then of uh, for a couple of years I was homeless. Oh, I'm sorry. So um and trying to be a father. Yeah. Know, two of the kids, two of our kids were still in high school mm-hmm. in this incredibly high-end suburb of Los Angeles called San Marino. And I managed to keep them in there. By oh staying, wow. Managed to keep them in there by staying with having them stay with friends in San Marino. And oh. I would, and then I was living on the streets in that area in Pasadena. And um, ultimately, you know, we got through it as every, you know, things don't last forever. Yeah. Terrible things don't always, don't always last. And mm-hmm. um, in 2011, I moved up to the Bay Area and uh, was, you know, pursuing a new career in web content. And uh, my wife and I had split up. She was living in Germany where she's a citizen. Okay. And I was roommates with a guy here in Berkeley who had been a film student at NYU. Mm-hmm. So he had a huge collection of DVDs. And so I remember we decided to watch Bicycle Thieves. Mm-hmm. And this time when I watched it, I found it to be the most devastating movie I'd ever seen. Yeah, I can only imagine. My I, goodness. I could barely make my way through it because yeah. it was so resonant with the because one of the things you discover when you're when you're completely broke is that things just little things little things go wrong and it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. I mean it's does uh, like tiny things. So, like, when the, the, the father has his bike, bicycle stolen, it's, you know, they, they on the, the family's um, uh, linens so he can yeah. buy a bicycle. Oh, I know. Her so dowry. To go yeah. put up posters. And then after one day, his bicycle is stolen. It's so and I just, I just found that the movie just to be so emotionally devastating. Yeah. Which I hadn't, I mean, I, I was always moved by it, mm-hmm. but I was never overwhelmed by it. So for me, the reason it's a great movie is not just because of its technique and its skill that which with which it was made and the power of a story. It's also because it has resonated with, with me so much in my own life. Yeah, so absolutely. That's, so that's why, that's why I chose that movie. That's why I chose Oh, that's perfect. And it makes sense. Um, Different things hit us at different points in our life. Um, I think the first time I ever heard of the movie was when I would have been in like middle school when Robert Altman's The Player came out. And there's the the scene in the film where Tim Robbins is getting um, hate mail and he thinks it's from this writer. And he calls and finds out that the man went to go see The Bicycle Thieves. And so he goes to this theater and I remember thinking, what is this movie that they're going to see? And they were talking about it uh, in the film. 
and um, or part Italian on my mom's side. And so she always loved two women. And so when I was very curious, I was very curious about movies. Uh-huh. Um, she showed me uh, Bicycle Thieves and then two women when I was like in middle school. And mm-hmm. both of them were devastating. But yeah, it doesn't hit you until later. Then when you're older and you have like nieces and nephews and kids in your life, you start thinking of it from the parents' perspective. And yeah, it's... These are great. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's a it's a really great movie just in and of itself. Yeah. You know, just as a standalone work of art, it's a really great movie. It's one of the greatest movies ever made. It but is. But on top of that, it's an incredible human document. I mean, yeah, it's, World War II, post World War II, post World War II. The ending, you know, I was reading about it. Uh, like, I don't know, six months ago, I was I, a movie, and. Um, they see, you know, at the end where the father and son are walking off and. Yeah. Like modern times uh, or something like a chapel. Yeah. It's, you know, that's exactly it. Yeah. The, it's DeSeca was apparently quoting or doing homage to Chaplin there. Yeah. And I didn't, I never took, I never thought of it that way at all. I, it never struck really? me that way at all. Really. It struck me, especially the last time I saw it as a statement that they're he's just gonna the worst possible things have happened to him yeah he's just gonna keep going we're just gonna walk down this road we're gonna go home we're gonna tell our my wife and his mother what happened and we're gonna figure it out yes one other thing that struck me in the movie the last time i watched it was Remember when he, it's in the final scenes where he's he's walking along and he sees the bicycle that mm-hmm. he's thinking of stealing. And in the distance you see, and you hear a stadium full of roaring fans. Oh, okay. And it's just like, here's this. Oh, his mental, yeah, we're hearing. But also, there, there's this whole world going on that has nothing to do with him. Yeah. Inside this stadium, is thousands, tens of thousands of people who are gripped by a soccer game. And here's a man whose life has just completely Depends. fallen apart. Yeah. It was just a little detail that I just really, it really hit me. Every time I watch that movie, I see something new in it. I know. It was interesting this time. Um, I was starting to think I wanted to rewatch The Kid, Chaplin's movie again, because sure. uh, his relationship with Bruno, it's like the cutest kid on the planet. You, sure. um yeah, you start thinking, oh, I can see a little bit more of the the chaplain. I, the ending always struck me as that, and I don't know why I didn't put it together with the kid, but maybe you want to watch it next time. You know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie, but I highly recommend it if you like Chaplin or the movies about kids. It's an Iranian movie called Children of, of Heaven. Yes. Have you seen it? Yeah, with the shoes. Yes. Oh, my God. That so movie. amazing, I'm, isn't it? I've watched it three times. I'm complete blubbering mess the last 10 minutes of that movie. Yeah. My film professor actually uh, introduced us to it. This was like 20 years ago. Um, He was doing a segment of his foreign film class on neorealism. And uh, the Iranian filmmakers were really obsessed with uh, De Sica and Rosalini. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so... um, Children of Heaven by, was it Majid Majidi? I think. Yeah, that's who it is. Yeah. Um, was a big fan. And so we, I think we watched some clips of Bicycle Thieves. He, we pretty much had all seen it. But 
he went with Children of Heaven and it became an instant favorite. Yeah. It's, 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 I, that's, I, I love hearing that they were obsessed with Jessica. I know. That's really interesting. I didn't know that. Well, that explains, that explains that, that is just, everyone should watch that movie. It's really really incredibly moving. Yeah. Yeah. Children of Heaven is really such an, and the kid who's a performer, he's like the kid in, um, in Bicycle Thieves. Yeah. Just this natural performer. I, I was reading about the actors in that movie. I didn't realize that none of them were actors. I didn't really know much no. about neorealism. Yeah, that's the trait of neorealism. People yeah, it's like fictional find. documentary making. Yep, kind of like what Mira Nair did with Salam Bombay and some of these other right. filmmakers or City of God, uh, Morelli's oh, City and of Lund. God, what a great movie. Yeah, another great one. Yeah. So. We're just throwing out gems. Everyone should go see these movies. Yeah, everyone should watch City of God. Everyone should watch Children, Children of, of Heaven and Bicycle. Everyone Thieves. should watch Bicycle Thieves. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to thank you. This was really great. Are there any others you want to recommend? Um, it's so no. I mean, the Bicycle uh, Children of Heaven. I always recommend. And yeah. You're the first person I've met who's actually heard of that movie, and oh, you've really? seen it. <laughs> I'm no one else has ever seen it. And everyone I recommend it to who watches it will like contact me immediately oh, afterwards. And like, yeah. I, I'm just a wreck after I watching know. it. Yeah, it's, it's funny. A- I was telling somebody I was going to watch Bicycle Thieves again. And they're like, is that the movie where you told me about the one with the shoes? And I'm like, yes. So, yeah, these kind of go together. Yes. They do. All righty. Absolutely. Well, thanks, David. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for asking me. I really appreciate it. It's nice to meet you. Well, next we have a wonderful writer for DVD Netflix, Jessica Pickens, who is an avid classic film buff. Jessica, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing and how's summer treating you so far? I'm doing great. Thanks for the lovely comment. I appreciate that. Um, I'm doing well. I hope you are also. And I I love summer, so I hate to see it come to an end in a few months. (laughs) I know. It's so nice. I mean, in in Phoenix, it's like really, really hot, but it's nice to be able to go out and do things. Is it good where you are or is it pretty humid? Um, You know, the humidity is actually pretty down this year, but it's I've, as I get older, I like the heat more. Oh, okay, cool. Well, today we're here for Netflix. How long have you been a subscriber to the DVD service, and what do you love about it? I'm actually a little bit newer than most people. I believe I joined in 2018. Okay. And what I really like, um, I, as a classic film fan, I do feel like they have a larger range of classic films to select from um, than some other services may have. Um, you know, a lot of the Fox films aren't always televised as much. So there's some the Gainer movies or Pussy and Blaine, people like that, um, who I've been able to catch because their movies were released on DVD um, several years ago. So I've been able to watch those movies now by renting them. So that's been really exciting to catch them. You know, I really like musicals. So to catch some of those musicals that I haven't seen previously. That's very cool. Do you happen to remember like your first film that you rented from there or the, what sold you on the service? Like I actually um, had to look that up right before we talked. I believe it was the swimmer with Burt Lancaster. Uh, That was an early one at least. So um, I had never seen it and thought, well, I think this is a good time to see it. So that's a 
you know, a little bit of a different movie um, that's open to interpretation. Um, but to go off of what I was also just saying, I believe my probably my second movie was called Bloodhounds of Broadway with Mitzi Gaynor, which was an early role for her. So that was exciting to catch because I hadn't seen that one before. Yeah, Burt Lancaster, Mitzi Gaynor. You can't go wrong there. <laughs> no. Well, have you rented anything lately that you'd like to recommend? Oh, gracious. What have I? You know, I um, actually used it to revisit some movies, too. Um, the Benny Goodman story was a recent rental for me um, that stars Steve Allen about the life of Benny Goodman, who is still living at the time that the movie was made. And obviously, with a lot of musical biopics, it's embellished a bit. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's still a really um, fun story with some great music. And a lot of his musicians that were in his original swing band are also in it. So that's a, that's a treat as well. And Gene Krupa's in it. And so it's, it's a good time. Yeah, very cool. I know it's fun to be able to revisit some of these. Like I recently re-rented Wait Until Dark, which definitely is not a musical, oh. but it's, yeah, it's pepper. <laughs> it's very scary. And of course, as soon uh, yeah, as I get it home, good. it had been in my queue for the longest time. And then HBO Max adds it. It's like, you copycats. Mm -hmm. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, so it's really cool that they have all of these movies, and you don't have to worry about buffering or apps crashing, which is nice. Right. Yeah. Well, a recent or a favorite discovery that you mentioned you'd wanted to talk about today is the 1945 film Delightfully Dangerous, the Arthur Lubin musical that was made for United Artists, which features a young, adorable Jane Powell in her second ever screen role. I know you love musicals, as do I. So please tell us more about yes. your affection to Delightfully Dangerous. <laughs> well, Jane Powell is a favorite of mine. And her two early movies, um, this one, Delightfully Dangerous and Song of the Open Road, um, which I still haven't seen, have eluded me for years. So I saw this come up and then I found out it was in the public domain. But <laughs> that's another yeah, that's story. Okay. But I saw this on DVD Netflix and had to um rent it and you know it's not the best movie and she even says that in her autobiography but it is fun and there's a lot of funny little scenes in it um so I really and while you know this isn't a great big blockbuster or movie mm -hmm. that everybody needs to remember it's you know I watched it last spring and the thick of um, the pandemic and also while I was furloughed. So it really just brought me some happiness during a kind of miserable time. Yeah, you need that. Exactly. Yeah, I, I read when I was uh, looking it up that I think it was Ralph Bellamy said, this is the worst movie you ever made or something. And she agreed. But, you know, there's some great stuff in it, though, like uh, yes. all the Strauss numbers and the musical numbers. I also really liked, was it Constance Moore was the sister? Yeah, she was good. It was a nice little contrast because Jane is more classical in her singing and Constance was jazzy. So there was some fun stuff in it. It is not a masterpiece, as you mentioned, but yeah, <laughs> I had fun with it. I think some of my favorite parts um, were Louise Beavers and Arthur Treacher, um, who both work for um, Constance Moore and yes. Ralph Bellamy and they just, their chemistry together, they were so, like had great comical chemistry together. 
And I will say for Ralph Bellamy, um, this is one of the few movies where he gets <laughs> the girl at the end. So yeah. can't have been that bad. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought it was, it's just a cute, fun movie. And I guess relatively low budget, but it had some pretty impressive musical numbers in it I as well know. for something that, yeah, like wasn't as, you know, not MGM or even Warner Brothers, but had um, some pretty big numbers, especially there at the beginning when they're doing a school play. Yes, I know. It's one of those dream school plays like Roger Ebert made that <laughs> joke about, you know, like strip clubs and movies are always way too, uh, like, just stylized and high school plays and movies are always, you know, Broadway productions. So we kind of have that in this, but who doesn't love it? Yeah. I know. You do think like, how did they do that? And how can the audience see that? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I think it's it's a little bit of the fantasy. Well, Jane Powell is right. really a wonderful presence. Um, you mentioned she is a favorite of yours. Do you have any other favorite movies that she made that you want to be sure to tell oh, people goodness. to check out? I mean, she's in so many. Yes. Um, well, you know, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers is one that a lot of people have seen, but that some that go under the radar yeah. a little bit are other ones from sort of this teen era because she was a child actor mm -hmm. um the next movie she was in was her first for mgm which was holiday in mexico where she lives in a consulate in mexico with her dad walter pigeon which is a major bonus um, <laughs> and then roddy uh young roddy mcdowell is her friend and her dad starts dating and so that's a conflict but that one's a lot of fun it's in technicolor xavier kugat's in it Ooh. so um just lots of good music and then luxury liner is another fun one george brent is her father this time okay and she um i think xavier kugat is also in that but um wow. she sneaks on his cruise okay. ship because he's a captain of the cruise ship of course and it's it's just a lot of fun and then i'll throw out a third one um, Three Daring Daughters, which I believe is a loose remake of a Deanna Durbin movie, but um, it's sort of like the parent trapping a little bit, mm -hmm. but their mom is Jeanette McDonald, who is divorced. The daughters decide mom and dad need to get back together. Mom and dad are not interested in getting back together. And as the girls are trying to orchestrate this, Jeanette McDonald is falling in love with pianist Hosea Turby. So it's, they're all very light and fluffy, but they're very colorful and feel good. And they just make me happy. Yeah. Wow. I'm going to have to check those out. I was looking over her, her filmography and I think, of course, I've seen Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I saw Athena, right. uh, Royal Wedding is also fun. Um, and I did see yes. one, The Girl Most Likely. I remember getting yes. a shot of that one too, which was a remake of tom dick and harry which yeah really yeah enjoyed. yeah so there's a lot of great stuff there anything else you want to <laughs> add about um i know you do musical mondays usually uh, yeah. yes which is funnily enough um for the day that we're recording this it was athena which was a cow movie was it really so, oh which, gosh we plan this people <laughs> I know we did not plan it. No. no, but you know, I just think that um, you know, especially with DVD Netflix, I've gotten to see a lot of movies like that I've missed over the years. Somehow, when I was in high school, I did not see Love Actually, so I was able to revisit it through this service. 
So I've, I've really seen a lot of, um, it's sort of been my way of catching up on things I've missed over the years um, and not having to, like you said, make sure my TV is connected properly or my yeah. app is working great. My internet isn't always the best. So this is, a, I like physical media. Um, yeah, physical media is a wonderful option for that. Perfect. Well, this was really fun. I think a lot of people will want to be yes. sure to check these out. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this, Jessica. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Well, next up, we have DVD Netflix blog contributor and knowledgeable film buff, James David Patrick, who you can find on Twitter at 007 Hertz Rumble. James, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing and how some are treating you so far? Uh, you know, all, all summers are weird now, it feels like. Uh, and I have two daughters who are currently out of school and need to go back desperately. Um, <laughs> the weather's been nice. Uh, it's been, you know, I've been traveling and, and it's lovely to get out of Pittsburgh for a little while, seeing as how we've been rooted here for a little while now because of, you know, COVID things. Yeah. When does school start in Pittsburgh? Uh, they go back last week of August. Okay. Yeah. I'm from Minneapolis. Originally, we would always go like day after Labor Day or the, yeah, the next day. So you have a little bit of time left, but here in Arizona, they've already started. So you never know different parts of the country, but. Well, so, I think that's because they don't know what summer is in Arizona. It's just yes, the season. It is. It's basically, yeah, it's the whole thing. Yes. Well, how did you first hear about Netflix or renting DVDs by mail? Do you remember? And how long have you been a member? Hmm. Well, uh, I would have started shortly after launch. Um, yeah, me too. I don't, I don't even know exactly what year that was anymore. 2002-ish? Later, earlier. earlier than that? Yep. I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, it, it was actually, no. Okay. So it was still when I was in Atlanta. Okay. So yeah, that had to be and dates are just long gone now. But anyway, um, early on-ish, uh, I definitely would have started receiving it, receiving it. I don't know if it's sacrilegious to mention that there was another uh, DVD by mail service that popped up right around the same time, Green Scene or Green Scene. I don't even remember I remember what. that, yes. It had, the, it had the green because Netflix yeah. had the red and then they had the green envelopes. Um, so I actually had both going concurrently for a while there because Ooh. they had uh, some more like, I don't want to say obscure, but they had more documentaries and uh, different offering than Netflix did. So I had both envelopes coming in uh, early on. Um, but yeah, uh, how did I hear about it? No clue. Uh, no clue. It just, it would have been a, a buzzy little thing. And uh, I heard about it and was like, yeah, I need to get DVDs in the mail. I, I, yeah. Why wouldn't I? Absolutely. I remember, actually, it was like the first DVD player we ever got. Bought it from Best Buy, opened the box. This would have been around 99, 2000, probably. And opened the box, and we had this flyer from Netflix, and it, it was completely new concept. I was like, wait a second. You get the, like, how do you get the DVDs through the computer? Like, it just... It was too complicated for me. So I waited a year or so to try it. But yeah, it was around 2001. So around the same time. And I had heard of Green Cinna and uh, or whatever it was called back then. I, it doesn't make sense to me, right? Because if, if it's like yeah. Green Cinna, that's yeah. very awkward. 
it's hard and, to say. You know, yeah. if, if they're trying to make it, it, but if they're trying to make it like rhyme with green, and then it's like turning the cinna into scene, I, do, I yeah. don't, I don't, I don't, I never knew how to say it. It's not like okay. I just forgotten. Like I, you know, <laughs> yeah, is the green one. Yeah, it was like red and green. It was traffic lights yeah. basically when you were getting the mail. Christmas and, traffic lights. Yeah. yeah, Christmas. Luckily, there wasn't a yellow. Maybe there was. We didn't know about there it. There could have been. Yeah. I don't know how they, they play were not off yellow. A business. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, so do you happen to remember your first rental? You know, I don't. I, this is going to be a very boring interview if I just saying I don't remember, but I, I don't no. remember. Um, hey, I, it was I, a long time ago. And I and I went back through the history of my current account, thinking, hey, maybe it was it's nothing in the same. It, this one goes back five years when I restarted it, um, and I'm not sure when it stopped actually. But at yeah. a certain point, I think when you know. Uh, moving and kids and stuff that I, I let the, the subscription lapse and picked it up when I woke up again, uh, when they yeah. were five. Um, <laughs> so th there was a lapse, so I can't go back further than that. And it, it said that my first rental on this new run was matinee. Okay. Well, there you go. That's cool. That's, that's all I got. And I think that was, um, it must have been right before the, the well, shortly before the Blu-ray came out or something. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but yeah, Matinee uh, was, was the first on this new account. And uh, I assume, if I am guessing, uh, based on when Netflix started and what I was into at the time, I would have been running Criterion's. Yep, there you go. When, like the the first few runs uh, yeah, of the Criterion they were Collection, so expensive, like even more expensive. It yeah. seemed like back then. Yeah, we did not know what a Barnes and Noble sale was yet. Yes, exactly. Yeah, or those flash sales didn't exist, basically. No. Yeah. Well, do you know how many? And I was pretty titles? much picking up any of them from secondhand stores, but. Yes, secondhand stores were a thing. I mean, I remember coveting them before I even knew what they were. Like my uncle had the laser discs of like the killer and hard boiled and I just yep. I wanted them, but you know, had nothing to Well, play. I had some of the laser discs. I was I got I got pretty deep into laser discs. Uh, oh, did you? That's cool. Yeah, for when I was in uh you know, I was one of those the 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 people that went to film school, you see. Me and too. Yeah. When <laughs> And I don't know, I'm dating myself here, but everything we watched was on Laserdisc at that time because that's how you, where all the material was being put for any of the niche uh, foreign titles and all these other things oh, were cool. released on Laserdisc. So when our, our film department was pulling on the stuff, it was always on Laserdisc. We were flipping discs in the middle of screenings. It was, it was wonderful, wonderful time. Um, so uh, I was like, oh, if this is where you find all the cool stuff, I got to get into Laserdisc. Because I had some, like I had some of the popular uh, mainstream movies on laser just that that uh that i had for you know you have the exhibition types you know where you get to crank up the sound on your system and look what look what can happen with this yes. massive yeah. always fun. vinyl with with this big record that can play movies um so yeah i, yeah, I had some of the criterion laser just not too many because oh. we're talking about expensive those were yeah 50, 60 70 dollars yes. yeah my film school they were just like bootleg burned uh, videos like well that was the russian class that i had that <laughs> okay yeah it was basically like a stack of videos next to the player and like ejecting them to show us a different thing like here is high key lighting here is this and yeah it was the whole thing but yeah very very funny so how many titles are in your queue now 
Oh, I think uh, when I glanced at it earlier, it was 186 or something okay. stupid like that. You know, that's respectable. I'm like, at, I'm always hovering at that 500 mark. I'm, I'm out of control. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens with this is what happens with the queue, right? So when I'm doing my preparations for the Cinema Shame podcast and I do specific mm -hmm. years, and I've been doing anniversary years this this run and uh, and all my research and prep for this run of uh, year episodes. I was doing 2001, 91, and 81. So I queue, I, I add, I go through the letterboxed mm -hmm. listing uh, and find titles. Oh, I should have seen that by now. I should have seen that by now. This is another interesting than that. And I keep plopping them into the queue and then I go on to the next one. Oh, so cool. when, so that, that's what happens with, with the queue. And then depending upon which year I'm working on, that gets moved to the top. But with the ones I don't watch, they stay in the queue. Mm -hmm. And they just get ever further yep. pushed down. That's where so I'm it's, at. It's really yeah. just a, <laughs> if you go through, you can tell exactly what the theme was mm -hmm. and which movies I never got to. There you go. Well, I've been chatting with a number of our colleagues about some of their favorite rental discoveries. And I'd love to know what you've enjoyed checking out on DVD. Any of your big, because I know you do, the Cinema Shame podcast. Any big discoveries that are like new favorites? Um, I, I have to think, uh, 1981 has been my, has been what I'm focused on. The year so of my birth. So yes. We'll, <laughs> there you go. Um, so 1981, I went through that year and I was surprised at the big movies that I just overlooked entirely. Um, and I feel pretty good about my coverage of the entire decade of the eighties. Oh yeah. But cool. for some reason there was a bunch of really big ones that just slipped through. So when I was going through there, um, uh, two of the first ones I picked up were, uh, some Oscar Beatty movies. I picked, uh, chariots of fire and reds. Oh, okay. Neither, neither of which I'd seen. I watched right. chariots of fire and then I watched reds. I was shocked by how starchy, chariots of fire was i did not like that as a kid so i haven't watched it again but i do love reds but anyway go for it well yeah we'll get to the reds in a minute here so oh, chariots yeah, yeah. of fire it was i was like Ooh. out of all of the movies i've seen from that decade i mean they're they do have a type in the 80s where they like the yeah. the the big uh prestige pictures you know yeah, thinking of africa <laughs> and, and you know chariots of fire come to mind and while I did just see Out of Africa turn classic movie film festival a few years ago and was very mm -hmm. surprised by how much I enjoyed it based oh, on I its reputation, it. yeah. I thought it was a wonderful melodrama. Yeah. Whereas we get to, it's like, okay, Chariots of Fire is going to be this year's. No, <laughs> it was not. No. Okay. I I'm was like, how do that. I, how am I supposed to care about these people? <laughs> this guy doesn't, his big drama is that he doesn't want to run on Sundays. I'm like, okay, re I, I, religious devotion, have at it. But yeah. as a character motivation for the drama that's unfolding, I'm like, I'm, I don't really, I don't really yeah. care. Three hours? No. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really care. Yeah. And then, Ooh. you know, and the big, the big uh, Vangelis musical number happens in the opening credits. I'm like, well, that kind of. Yep. Yeah. You open with the bang. And like, it's why, like, uh, yeah. yeah. Why isn't that the, and why isn't that the, the big the big run scene like why isn't that the race and the race happens like they're not even running against each other i can't see i saw it as a kid and it like so the guy so they, they put i the, never wanted to go back they put his qualifying race on sundays like i'm not gonna run it 
in the Olympics. He's like, okay, I'm oh not going to run God. it. Wow. So the guy that is like focused on beating him runs, wins, and he doesn't get to race him. So that's his like internal conflict. He knows he wins without beating the best. Mm-hmm. And, and then the guy gets to run in the uh, relay and he gets to win in the relay. Wow. I mean, I don't want to, I, I suppose <laughs> I should just have a spoiler alert for anyone that's going to watch Chariots of Fire. Yeah. 40 I'll, years I'll late. I'll go ahead and like, it's like keep maybe up. Maybe I'll that just say, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was oh. underwhelmed by Chariots of Fire. And then I watched Reds, which I loved. Yeah. That's a great film. I, yep. I was like, okay, three and a half hours. You're like, Jesus. But sure. But <laughs> right. Exactly. I was, yeah. I was into it the whole way. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I, that's, I don't, I, I don't cry at movies. Like mm-hmm. my kids think I'm broken or like I, they just, I just don't. Okay. But like I came really close at the end of it. <laughs> oh. Yes. Oh, it's a, yeah, it's a great epic for sure. So any other big ones that you had a reaction to recently or discoveries? They, you know, they do run together. Okay. Whether I how how I find them or how I rent them, yeah, uh, those two stand out because they were back to back. Yeah. Um, Wait. So did you start with uh, Chariots of Fire and then you were like, "Whoa!" Uh, by the time you got that was that. one of the first okay. ones I watched for eighty one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Woo. You're like, why did I do this? No. <laughs> I oh, so. Um, I, I am I'm thinking back a little bit further now. It just takes the brain a little while to get going. So I also rented uh, My Bloody Valentine, which was 1981. Oh, yes. Slasher movie, er, early slasher movie. Uh, uh-huh. I heard a lot about it over the years from my my horror fan friends. And it's like, oh, this is a seminal horror movie. You got you to gotta watch it. And I had just, um, I had confessed on a, on a not too entirely long ago, it's an episode that I hadn't seen the Friday the 13th movies. Um, so I went through all of those sort of begrudgingly because they, they really hit a wall for me after about, yeah, they get a little, rep- after like the Corey Feldman, you're like, yeah. Well, it's, it's weird too, because I like my favorite one ended up being like five or six. I, the number, they all run together now, they but do. It was like two and yeah. six. And, and the first one was like, eh. Um, so I was surprised I actually got that far. And then I got to Jason takes Manhattan and I think like, I'm good. Um, but so <laughs> I, I apparently had been lax on my early 80s slashers, the, the really early ones. Um, so uh, I finally caught up with My Bloody Valentine and thought that was a, a far better than, than the actual yeah. original Friday the 13th. And, and that, that one I was really into. Um, setting in that one was very cool. The the mining community and the, and the, and the mine are a great place for horror. Yeah. Um, so that was another highlight of 1981. And... Um, 1991, I, I finally caught up with Raise the Red Lantern. Uh, oh, uh, brilliant film. Yeah. Yeah, and that's another uh, another confession that will come back on the Cinema Shame episode is that um, when I worked at the Coolidge Corner Theater in Boston, um, this was 2004-ish, okay. we'll say, um, we hosted an event and gave the Zhang Yimou the original Coolidge Corner film award it was like this inaugural thing they're gonna give it to a big international filmmaker and just see if he can if it would come and accept the award and he did so it was a huge huge deal we got one of the earliest maybe the one of the first few premieres of hero oh Um, great film and um we show his other films as part of the 
weekly mm -hmm. programming, but that was Razor Red Lantern was the one that, that I missed that week. Oh, so you'd seen like Judo and all the other ones. Yep. Uh, yeah, we I gone through the other ones. I just for whatever reason I wasn't able yeah. to attend that screening or whatnot. Don't oh. even remember at this point, but I did know that was the one I missed. And uh I, I think Such it might be my favorite film. of his films. Yeah, it was yeah. wonderful. Just yeah. thinking about the color symbol, color symbolism in that movie was enough to keep me going for a few days. It just kind of stayed there in the back of my mind. I was like popping as I was thinking about different scenes and images. Uh, it was wonderful. Yeah, it's such a hard film to find. So it's good that DVD Netflix has it. Yeah, exactly. So I know you're a writer for the site. What have you written lately? Is there anything we should be on the lookout for before I let you go? Uh, let's see. Uh, lately, uh, I've done a few uh, boozy movies posts. Okay. Movies cool. with a alcohol focus. Any All kind right. of alcohol is okay. Um, originally, I was, tr I was trying to focus on on one particular type. But I was like, you know what? Let's just open it up. I'll get more variety. So uh, there is boozy movies part one and boozy movies part two. Uh, there's going to be a part three because there's so much good movies to write about that focus on liquor and getting drunk and okay so i've i've also tried to balance the the good booze with the bad booze like yeah. so we've got, like beer fest and, and, and trees lounge yeah. and yeah like there, there's a whole bunch of up and downs there so you gotta yes. balance them out there's there's happy time and the sad times yes. um and you can't have a post just about all of the leaving las vegas's in the world because that would be no yeah um and then i did a post about uh Robin Williams for what would have been his 70th uh, mm. birthday this yeah. past month. So mm -hmm. I, I highlighted some of my favorite Robin Williams performances. Ah, I love Robin Williams. I actually worked with a woman who worked at the Children's Hospital. And decades ago, this would have been like before he made Patch Adams or anything. She said that he was famous for when his wife would come down to the Phoenix area to like see her family. He would just show up at the children's hospital and stay for hours and make all the kids laugh and like no like media alerts or anything. Just he would do that out of the kindness of his heart. And it's like he was a good one. Yes. Have you seen the documentary? Uh, Coming is it comments on my mind? Is that the? I haven't yet. I thought it would like make me cry the whole time, but yeah, I need to see. There it. is a there is a good chance of that happening. Okay, it's a it's a wonderful movie, and uh, I I watched it uh, when I was writing the piece to to try and uh, you know learn more about him because I mean yeah. I've read a lot, but nothing you know all that recent, not since his death, because it's mm -hmm. you know he's one of those actors that. I think meant a lot to a lot of people and yes. um and not just because of his performances because he you know he, he i think part of it has to do with knowing that he was sort of a troubled mm -hmm. act, like some some of that makes him more real and more human and, and knowing yeah. um that's someone that can that brings so much happiness to people has this side that you know they can't control and they, and they, they can't mm -hmm. really come to terms with and and then the circumstances around his death. I mean, there, there's just a lot of emotion, you know, packed into his persona and, and the documentary really brings that out. Yeah. It, it, was, it was tough to watch, especially when you had Billy Crystal and Pam Dauber uh, talking yeah. about the last few days and what they knew and what they didn't know. Oh, that is tough. What are your favorite performances, I should ask? I mean, obviously, everyone, I will try to link to that article in this post, but... Right. Um, you know, it, it has changed a lot over time because I used to uh, Good Morning Vietnam was a big movie 
Oh yeah. Uh, for me early on, like learning about Robin Williams and seeing like mm-hmm. his more comic persona. Cause I, I kind of grew up watching Mork and Mindy. I knew Mork and Mindy very well. And then yep. as the, the big screen personality took shape and you saw a lot of that stand up in the good morning Vietnam. So you got to see a little mm-hmm. bit of an actor, which it's a, it's actually a pretty difficult dramatic role on top of it is, the yeah. bits that he has to do on the screen. And, and I think people forget uh, about the other side of that movie because they like to focus on the radio personality, yeah. the Adrian Cronin mm-hmm. radio personality. So uh, early on, it was something like, like that, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, more recently, I, I, I rewatched uh, Fisher King and that was that, brilliant. Yes. That role Oof. is so, there's so much of him yes. in that character. Mm-hmm. And I think because of that, it, it takes this sort of extra textual meaning and really fills it beyond what was in the movie. And I mean, Terry Gilliam made a brilliant movie and mm-hmm. I didn't appreciate it at the time I saw it as much as I do now that it's really kind of revealed itself to me the more I've watched it. And then, um, you know, the, the Robin Williams character, um, you know, has just become more real and more full mm-hmm. in the years since his death, even like seeing what he put into that role. So if I had to yes. pick one, it's the probably King. the Fisher King. Yeah. Um, but, but I do, I do like to say that I think his performances in something like dead poet society gets kind of undersold, even though it's very well respected and well regarded, you know, they think it is kind of, you know, I, I think it's got a reputation as being sort of starchy, like chariots of fire at times. Like it's just kind yeah. of that movie that everybody likes it, but is it really loved anymore? Mm-hmm. But uh, I think that's a performance that, that kind of gets forgotten, even though it's still well regarded. And then one that I came to late, just, just of late, I watched Popeye for the first time. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And I've got to say that is probably his most difficult, like the thing he had, the, yeah. the most difficult role. Yeah. Like disappearing into that, <laughs> that character and in the movie itself, um, I was surprised. I didn't know what I expected from a Robert Altman, Robin Popeye. Williams, yeah. Popeye, like, you know, um, and Robert Altman doesn't get lost in it either. Like he's not making a comic, a comic movie that's, no. that's not a Robert Altman movie. It is simultaneously yeah. so comic based and so visual, but it is also, it also maintains some of those Robert Altman tropes, the overlapping dialogue, uh, the asides, uh, Shelley Duvall. Are, yes. are, oh, Shelley Duvall is just perfect. Yes. Perfect. Anyway, um, but you know, Robin Williams has to go through that movie wearing prosthetic arms and I know and shutting the one eye the whole time, and he's doing yep. this masterful job of giving this cartoon character a really um, interesting three-dimensional personality and. I, I kind of love the movie for everything that all the weird and wonderful that it is. And I can see why audiences saw that and go, no, I don't, I don't know what to do with this, but I think we've gotten to the point in comic book adaptations where, you know, something like that is so much more interesting now than maybe it was in 1980 when it came out. Or, yeah, or, swinging um, for the fences for once, and not yeah, trying to make everything right, look not very playing uniform. It safe. Like we're not yeah. hitting, we're not hitting all the necessary beats to to no. run through this story or come up with this origin story. And while it is an origin story, it's so much more lived in, mm-hmm. and there are so many characters that are pulled organically from 
those original comics. And they, they did go back to the original comics and not the more recent cartoon series, which is an entirely different animal. But Altman insisted on doing those older ones. So the characters are, are kind of scattered throughout, and some of them are relevant and important and brought to the forefront, but they're all there in kind of this Robert Altman tapestry of characters that, that he does so well. And I don't know. I, I, I guess I don't know what I expected from it, um, but it was just a concept that I couldn't wrap my head around until I actually watched it. And it is, I think it's one of my favorite movies that I've watched this year just because wow. of how vividly it, 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 it created this world. It, 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 maybe it's not the, the most perfect execution, but, you know, a bad Robert Altman movie is still better than a lot of others. Pretty interesting. (laughs) So when you take into consideration the experimentation that he did creating comic book movie with a stand-up comedian, um, I think it's uh, something kind of wonderful. Very cool. Well, you sure recommended a lot of great ones that hopefully people listening will add to their queues or check out. So I want to thank you so much for doing this, for talking movies with me. I could have like you know, monopolize your whole afternoon, but that wouldn't have been good. So, I monopolize my you. whole afternoon in different ways. So it, it, it's <laughs> fine to devote some time to you and, and DVD Netflix. Uh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and Film Intuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.